Parshas Bo. Um, and I don't have the stone kumash for me to give everybody the page. I apologize, but it's Sefer Shemos. It's the book of Shemos. And it is the 10th chapter, right in the beginning. Parak Yud, Pasuk Aleph is Parshas Bo. If anybody has the uh, general stone chumash with them and they'd like to share the page, please do so. Let's get going. I've got a couple more coming in. All right. Okay. So I want to focus on a particular theme which comes up towards the beginning of our Parsha and really continues, uh, continues into the Parsha. It's a, a constant theme that, that uh, comes up, and we'll, we'll focus that initially. We'll see how much time we have to focus on some of the other ideas. So let's give an overview. This week's Parsha is the last three of the ten plagues. Of the ten Makos, we have Arba, the plague of Locust, the plague of Choshech, darkness, and Makas Bechoros, the plague of the firstborn. And Parsha's bow begins with Hashem telling Moshe Rabbeinu, Vayomar Hashem al Moshe, Hashem says to Moshe, Bo el Paro, come to Paro, which is an expression that bothers me. I'm just throwing this out there. Why doesn't Hashem tell Moshe, go to Paro? You know, by, uh, by Avram Avinu, Hashem tells him, Lech lecha, go for yourself to the land. Why doesn't Hashem tell Moshe, Lech el Paro, go to Paro? So I, I haven't seen uh, too much uh, on this. I'm throwing this out there. I could just share some of my own thoughts, and I'd like to hear uh, if anybody has something to share. Maybe the difference between go and come is, and this need, you'll, you'll see why this needs work, when you tell some, come can mean two things. You could say somebody, you could tell somebody to come when either they're coming towards you, or you can say come when you're going along with them. Come with me, or come to me. When you say to somebody go, that doesn't mean with me, unless you say let's go. Then you're, the word let's is saying let's go together. But if you say, tell somebody, go, that means without me. And it also implies I'm not there. So that's really, you know, where my mind's going with this. When Hashem tells Avram, go, I'm not sure why he doesn't say come. What, Avram's not going to come? He's not telling Avram, I'll come with me, like I'll be with you? If over here in our parsha, Hashem's telling Moshe, come to Paro, which I want it to mean, and this doesn't mean it's true. I want it to mean Hashem's telling Moshe, I'll be with you. Come with me to Paro. Then Hashem should have said the same thing to Avram, right? I'm coming along with you. Unless, unless you can respond, let's play devil's advocate. Maybe that's the whole test for Avram. Maybe Hashem's telling Avram, don't expect me to be with you. I don't know. Just, I'm, I'm just throwing all these confusing opportunities out there. If anybody has something to, uh, you know, that they want to... Uh, add to this or help clarify for me. Just find it to be uh, an, uh, interesting, the difference between, oh, again, over here, what Hashem telling Moshe with Bo, and what Hashem tells Avram when he tells him Lech Lecha. So if anybody wants to share something, otherwise we will move on to the point. Yeah. Maybe it's not just going 
right? But but by Moshe, the expression is to come. By Avram, it's to go. Oh, okay. So here it's a little bit the opposite, but yeah. Yeah. Interesting. How that would have made sense. Yeah. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> Could be. All right, food for thought. If anybody comes up with something, you know, uh, you can give me a holler, let me know. So Hashem tells Moshe, Bo el paro, come to paro, el uh, ki eslibo, because I have hardened paro's heart, the eslev avodov, and the heart of his servant. So now the Torah is going to give us two reasons why Hashem is doing this. Okay, now by the way, hardening his heart does not necessarily mean Hashem is completely taking away his, his free will to choose this, as we'll explain shortly. But what's the reason number one? Why Paro's heart is hardened? First of all, Hashem says, I want to be able to perform these signs of godliness in the midst. And I'll give you of, of Egypt. And I'll give you another reason why we're doing this. Hashem tells Moshe in verse 2, Pasuk Beis, Uleman tesaper bincha uben bincha, in order that you could tell over crucial words. Ba'azne bincha means in the ears of your son. Okay? What does it mean in the ears of? When you talk into someone's ear, that means you're being specific. Okay, you're being specific. You're, you're focusing this word in. I need you to hear these words and not the outside no, no, and not the outside noise. So to speak into the ears of your generations. Uben bincha and your later generations, Esa share his alalti bimitzrayim, and this is what I want to focus on today. This that we made, Hashem says, this that I made a mockery out of mitzrayim. It's a, a mockery is a laughter. The so sai and my signs, Asher samti bum that I'm that I am placed amongst them, the adat them, and you will know, you the Jewish people will know ki ani Hashem that I am Hashem when we do this to Mitzrayim. So interestingly, there's two main reasons. First of all, for the Egyptians to see in that generation. <coughs> and reason number two is for the Jewish descendants for all generations to be able to hear about the mockery that Hashem made in Mitzrayim. Apparently this mockery is in a very important part to our emuna, to our understanding of how Hashem, um, how Hashem runs the world. And let's focus on this um, for a little bit. Okay, so number one is that, why is this funny and comical? Let's get the perspective. Rashi says it's going to be funny. Now funny doesn't mean that it's a, um, that it's fun. There's a difference between fun and funny. Fun means, oh, this is great, this is fantastic, this is amazing, right? That's not what funny means. When something is funny, it's unexpected. When you weren't expecting this result, so it's like a shock or that response to the question. Like you have a comedian, they have a question, they'll throw a question, create a picture, and then they'll say a line which is unexpected, either because it's so true or because it's so sarcastic, or whatever it is, all of a sudden it's like, oh, uh, doesn't really mean that I think it's a good thing, but it's it's something which which uh, brings laughter. 
Okay. So now, what sort of message of laughter are we uh, are we supposed to take? So let's get a pic uh, the, a picture of the story. The astrologers tell Paro there's going to be a boy that's going to save the Jewish people, and Paro goes berserk. What am I going to do? There's going to be this male child that's going to save all the Jewish people. So he goes he goes insane. And he makes a decree that all males, Jewish and Egyptian, <coughs> people don't realize this. At a certain point, Paro actually decreed that even the Egyptian Jewish, even the Egyptian males, the Egyptian male babies should be killed. Why? Because Paro is trying to get rid of this one kid that his astrologers are telling him is going to save the Jewish nation. So let's get rid of everybody. This can't happen. He goes nuts. So what ends up happening? Paro's daughter goes down to the river, Basia. Okay, she wants to remove the what we call the schmutz, the filth of her father's home. So she goes down to the river to use it as a mikvah, and she ends up bringing this one boy who Paro's going nuts about and killing thousands and thousands of babies, Jewish and Egyptian, to take care and make sure this kid doesn't live. His own daughter brings this baby home into Paro's palace, and Paro ends up changing this baby's diapers, playing with him, uh, paying for his tuition. Um, and this is seriously what happens. This is, this is the story. Okay, Paro raises this child in his palace until he's 17. Paro's palace completely took care of this male savior of Klau Yisrael when Paro's whole goal was to get this one child. This is funny. Not that it's funny. If you look at the whole picture, it's not funny. It's not funny of a Jewish kid having to be raised in a palace of Paro and everything that went to him. By the way, the Medrash tells us that Paro ended up hiring Moshe's own mother to nurse him when none of the other, and Moshe would have nursed somebody else. So they found out that there's a Jewish nurse that Moshe was willing to nurse from. And there's one mother that thought she lost her baby by placing him in the Nile River, ended up being paid an exorbitant amount of money by the king's own palace to nurse her own child when Paro herself didn't realize what's happening. And this is all under Paro's nose. And we don't need to go too far to see how this happened. Apparently, just a few years ago, there was a, a woman who unfortunately passed away, and it was known that she was, um, she was the cover baby for Mein Kampf, for Hitler, for the perfect Aryan race. He put a picture of a beautiful blonde-haired, blue-eyed, perfect baby. It turns out later on, he didn't know, but she was a Jewish, a Jewish woman. Right? So for this, so Hitler's like trying to, it's like the same joke. It's the same mockery, right? That you're going to have this, we have to get rid of all these people to create this perfect race. And this is an example of perfection. And that one example of perfection ended up with, without Hitler, you know, may his name be erased. Uh, noticing or realizing it was a Jewish, it was a, it was a young Jewish girl. He, he didn't notice it, right? So we, we have this, and this is in our own times. We, we have a, 
um, we have a similar uh, type of a similar type of story. This is the message that Hashem is saying. He wants us to notice, not just look at my plagues. Don't look at the plagues. That's not only what it's about. It's about how I do things, says Hashem. When people try to, to change and create their own picture by taking, you know, by taking something that I've put into the world, it just comes back to hurt them. Or, God forbid, us, if we try to you know, outsmart, so to speak, the, the Ratzon Hashem. But particularly with Rishon, particularly when we find with, uh, with evil people, Hashem wants us to notice the joke and notice how he, how he manipulates all this. There's a, a, um, a Sefer, there's a book on Pirkei Avos called Mikdash David. The Sefer is called Mikdash David. It's written by Rav David Hanagid, who is a grandson of the Rambam. Okay, the grandson of the Rambam. And in the sixth chapter, he actually quotes this idea. In the sixth parak of Perkei he quotes this idea and he brings down um, his own story that he heard about one of the Tanoim of the Mishnah. There was a Tana by the name of Rabbi Yossi ben Kisma. Rabbi Yossi, the son of Kisma. And two of his sons were captured by an officer of Edom, a descendant of a descendant of Esav. They come, Rome comes from Edom. And two of his sons were captured. And Rabbi Yossi ben Kisma went to free his two children. He went to where his two sons were being held captive by this officer. <clears throat> and he, tells, he tries bribing the officer. And he tells the officer, I want you to take a hundred mana. A hundred mana is about... Uh, you know, in our terms, about a half a year's uh, salary of a person, you know, uh, whatever it is, let's say uh, $30,000, okay? Of an average person, you know, living in, uh, living in a middle to upper, upper income community. Let's say that, you know, he comes with thirty dollars to $40,000. let us make it $40,000 um, that he comes to offer the officer of Edom for his two sons back. And the officer says no. So Rabbi Yaisi ben Kisma started, he declared a fast upon himself. He started fasting and he started davening to Hashem to help him get his children back. So um, HaKadosh Baruch Hu sent the Malach uh, Mechael, the angel Mechael, to cause this officer to come down with a very painful stomach illness. And he was in unbearable pain. And when a person's in unbearable pain, all of a sudden money doesn't matter and everything else, you just need to be able to function, right? So this officer's family told him, maybe it's because of what you did to that Jew that you, you know, you uh, kidnapped two of his children and you're, you're trying to take them away as slaves. So the officer sends a message to Rabbi Yossi ben Kisma that he should come back, he wants to talk to him. So Rabbi Yossi ben Kisma comes back and as soon as he walked into the room, this officer's pain subsided. So he realized that there's obviously a connection. So the officer says, okay, for the $40,000, for your 100 mana, I'll give you your kids back. So Yossi ben Kisma says, I apologize, you know, you kept me here overnight, and I already spent one-fifth of it 
to try to get politicians involved and to pay for my hotel. Um, I only have 80 mana left. I only have one-fifth of my original amount. I'm down to 32 grand. I don't have the money anymore. So this officer gets angry at him and he kicks him out. And as soon as Rabbi walks out of the room, the stomach pains came back. So a few minutes later, he calls him right back in. He says, okay, give me 80. Give me 80. So Rabbi Yisrael says, I'm sorry, in the last few minutes, you know, I realized that you mean business and you're not going to be easy to win over. I already spent another 30 out of the remaining 80. I only have 50, I only have half the amount left because I try, you know, I needed to, I, you know, I, I had further expenses. I needed to get other, uh, other people, bribe other people to try to talk to you. So the officer is furious again and he kicks him out. The pain's getting, uh, the pain's getting worse and worse. He, he doesn't know what to do. So he calls him back in and he says to Rebbe Ben Kisma, okay, just tell me what you want. So Rebbe Ben Kisma says, I just want my children back. Give me back my kids. So the officer says to Rebbe Ben Kisma, he says, just take them. Don't give me anything. Take my kids. So now, listen to this. Rebbe Ben Kisma realizes he has the upper hand now. And this story, he realizes, is the story of Mitzrayim. Exactly what took place in Mitzrayim when Paro just wants more and then he, and he loses out. So basically Ben Kisma says to this officer, he says, one second. He says, you want me to take my kids? Let me tell you something. They've been holed up and in servitude to you for the past two weeks. I'll take my children if you pay them for all the forced labor of the past two weeks. And they made a calculation and Rabbi Yaisi ben Kisma walked away with his kids, plus, you know, uh, plus some uh, a, a nice amount of money, in order to even be willing to have this officer get rid of the illness. What 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 is his, that's what happens in Mitzrayim? Paru says no, I'm not going to let them go. I'm not going to let them go until finally he sent us out. Berachos Gadol. He like he threw everything at us. That if a person wants to be stubborn, and do the wrong thing and go against the Ratzon Hashem. That, that it becomes a laughing stock. It becomes like, you know, how can you even think of that um, in the first place? Like, what were, you, what were you thinking? And that's the message that Hashem wants us to pull out from these last three makos in particular, that the parsha is telling us, Hashem says to Moshe, why am I doing this? So that you'll speak into the ears of the generations and our generation. Currently, we're all sitting here learning together in our generation, what, what does Hashem want us to know? That when people try to go and do the wrong thing and go against Hashem's plan of how, how this world is supposed to run, ultimately, it's going to, be, it's going to turn into a laughing stock. You don't gain from that. When people do the wrong thing, and this is even in a more, in a more subtle way, when people, it's not even when we're against Klal Yisrael, going and hurting other people, whatever. If a person tries to do things that are dishonest, we think we're gaining? Is this what Hashem wants us to do? If we're not following through and both acting and reacting in a way of godliness, in a way that's the Ratzon Hashem, that Hashem wants us to do, we're not going to end up gaining from that. That's not the way Hashem allows the world, it's not the way Hashem allows the world to work. Okay, now, to point out as well, you know, this that it says, 
into the ears of the sons. I just want to focus a little bit on that word, ozen. Interestingly, this is a little bit tangential, but ears in Hebrew are oznayim. Okay, you know what else is? You know what else oznayim means in Hebrew? A scale, right? Oznayim is a scale. When you have weights on two sides, that is a, a to balance something out is also the is also the same exact word. And interestingly, um, the the eardrums are what keeps a person's balance. Right? It's well known. It's well known that that uh, hearing, uh, you know, w- with within children and things of that sort, one of the ways to notice whether there's any sort of hearing loss is to know how well they're holding their balance. And interestingly, it's the same exact word. The root of the word are uh, it's part of the the beauty of of the uh, Hebrew language. But that's a little tangential. But Azne Bincha, so the Panavizharov explains that Rabbi Yosef Shalom Kahanaman, he says that. It seems to imply to speak directly to your children, right? Make sure that they're listening well into the ears of your children. But he, he says that, we, you know, we touched on this before. I just wanted to ex- expand on this a little bit. It's letting us know that there's times where there's a lot of noise. <clears throat> there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of people telling us um, various things. And this applies, I would say, particularly today. There's so much information, and it's so hard to know where to get that information from. And as human beings, we are products of information that we take in. And our nature is to go get that information from places that make us feel comfortable. So it becomes like a cycle. It becomes a big cycle of... There's so much noise and so much information to get. And there's places we want to get information from. Is it really, how exactly does this work? Okay, I don't know. Personally, within this world of, uh, you know, all, all, all the, uh, you know, the Instagram and Facebook and online and all these, all these real news websites and, and fake news websites and all these, boy, I don't know. Baruch Hashem, I'm, I'm out of politics. I, you know, for some reason, ever a lot of other people listen to the news all the time. I find out the news a couple times a week, and it doesn't seem like the world came to an end. I don't know if I'm missing anything by uh, by only hearing this once every few days. You know, just to just to keep tabs. It says the Panavijarov, when do you talk into the ears of somebody when they're next to you and there's a lot of noise happening? See, he says when a when a yid is in gullus, when a yid is in exile whether it was in Egypt at that time or the exile that we're in right now. The world is making so much noise about all types of mishigas, all types of things. We have to make sure that as a unit, both as a family unit and as a friendship unit, as a unit of Klal Yisrael, that we're close enough to each other to be willing to talk into each other's ears. But it can't just be kind of a distant type of information because if it's a distant type of information, there's, then there's too much room for all the other stuff to come in. We have to allow ourselves, prepare ourselves well enough, build relationships well enough 
that when we're there for each other, to teach each other, to learn with each other, we feel close enough that it's like literally in each other's ears. Like this information for you is more important. This information, which is coming from Torah, coming from a good source, coming from a good place, this is the information that we as Jews, as Yidin, need to hear more than anything else, and that is bincha, to speak into um, to speak into the the ears of of other Yidin. And over here in this pasuk, it's referring to our later generations. Okay. So what happens? Vayavo Moshe Aaron, verse three. Moshe and Aaron come El Paro. They come to Paro. But until now, it's all been a command. Hashem's telling them, come to Paro and share this information. Okay. So they come to Paro. Vayomru Elav. And Moshe and Aaron say to Paro, Koamar Hashem Ivrim. So says the God of the Jews. It's not your God. You don't consider him to be your God. Okay, which is fascinating. Paro is not considering Hashem to be a God, and we'll explain what that means in, in a few moments. Until when are you going to refuse to humble yourself from in front of me? Send out my nation uh, so that they may serve me. Now, why is Moshe and Aaron telling Paro that so says the God of the Jews. Isn't Hashem everybody's God? Whether people like it or not, right? People could say, oh, not my God. I have a different truth. Doesn't make any, no, it's not true. It's one God. <laughs> it's whether you know it or not, this is the Hashem. This is the, re- this is the, uh, this is the reality. But Moshe and Aaron are speaking to Paro in his own language. Now, how did, this is always something that in the past really bothered me. Does Paro not know there's a God? We're up to plague number eight. We're up to plague number eight. Paro knows something's happening. And he's telling Moshe and Aaron to go back and have conversations. So do you know there's Hashem or do you not know there's Hashem? Like, you, wh- wh- what are you thinking? And the explanation is that this question only comes when we don't really understand the pagan ideology. The way you, we, we live in a world where most of the major religions, most of the major religions, there's exceptions, believe in monotheism. There's a big belief in monotheism. In Mitzrayim, the overarching belief was there is a God of the Jews. Paro believed there's a God of the Jews. Paro did never ended up believing until the Yamsuf. When according to a medrash, he did tshuva and then became the king of Nineveh by the story of Yonah uh, much later on. But for sure, within the story of the Torah, until the, until the Egyptians were drowned by the Yamsuf, Paro knew there was a God. He just never agreed that Hashem has the power to do what he was doing and that there's one God in absolute control. Paro was of the belief, yeah, maybe there is a God of the Jews who controls part of something, but there's also a sun that controls other parts of the world. Then there's me. Paro believed that he himself had powers. He himself was a god. He believed the moon had powers. And this was a big part of the pagan ideology, is that there could be thousands of gods. And no god in particular was any stronger, uh, was any, you know, anything stronger than the other. And interestingly, 
when it says the Jews in Egypt were at the time that we were redeemed were on the 49th level of impurity, what's impurity? Impurity only exists when there's a lack of holiness. Purity and impurity are, are right? Impurity comes when purity leaves. This is why, as we've explained, um, anytime you find Tumah, it's, that means there was a tremendous amount of tahara. There was a tremendous amount of purity. For example, a, a, a corpse, a body. When somebody passes away, that body becomes impure. Why? Because until now it was housing the purest and a, a, a pure soul, the purest of the pure. As soon as purity leaves, imp- it creates a vacuum. And the way Hashem made the world is that impurity kicks in. Impurity is not a bad thing. Impurity represents what was originally there. It represents that we used to have something, and now that that thing is not there, so now impurity is going. And every time you find Tumah, that actually means there was a high level of Tara, there was a high level of purity. Be it as it may, the Jewish nation in Mitzrayim is on the 49th level of impurity. There's 50 levels. Once you sink to the 50th level, it's like the highway is closed. There's no way back. What does it mean we're on the 49th level of impurity? What it meant was that a large percentage of the Jewish people knew there was a God. They knew there was a Hashem. But we got so steeped in the belief that there's other things to trust in as well. That's impurity. Because Hashem is the, is the pinnacle of holiness. The more you say that there's something else in existence, the more impurity, the more you remove Hashem from the world, so to speak, the, the, the more impurity is kicking in. So did the Jewish people know that there's Hashem? Yeah. It doesn't mean they're on the foreign level of impurity. They didn't know. No, we knew there's Hashem. But we were so steeped in a society that believed to trust in other things as well. In a limited way, we may suffer from this now. Right? We don't. Do we believe that Hashem really has full power? Or do we believe in other powers? In the power of our employers, the power of our government, the power of Now, this is the, uh, a balance that a Jew always needs to play out, and Hashem wants us to play out within the world, is live within the normal processes of the world, but always know that I'm, that, that I, I'm running the show that Hashem's the one running the show. That's Kedusha, that's holiness. Is when we realize within our efforts and within everything else which we're obligated to and Hashem wants us to do, ultimately the success of it is under the control of Hashem. That's, Hashem controls the success of everything outside of our Bechira, outside of, of choosing right and wrong. And that's the, the, uh, a person who can live with such a message is living with tremendous purity, tremendous tahara. In Egypt, Paro, by, again, just to reiterate, Paro, by definition, he knew there's a God, but by definition and his pagan ideology didn't believe that Hashem was strong enough and had enough power to fully control, uh, to, um, to fully control everything else. And this goes back to why it's so important to speak into the ears, to speak directly, because so much of this is nuanced within society. This was the Egyptian society, to an extent, this is the society that that um, that uh, we live in. Now, it, to to skip a little bit ahead, we're going to come back, but there's a. I just want to share something. Once we're dwelling on this point, 
is that later on in our Parsha, you know, there's a song that kids are taught in school, Paro in pajamas in the middle of the night. Paro in pajamas in the middle of the night. Paro in pajamas. How do we know that Paro was in pajamas in the middle of the night? Who says, how do you know what type of pajamas did he wear? Did he wear a onesie? What did he wear? Yeah, what exactly, I'm, you know, it's, I'm always curious to know what, what exactly uh, Paro's pajamas looked like. Why is that a song that kids learn? Why is that such, um, why is that such an important song? So here we go. So the source of this song is chapter 12, Perek Yud Beis, Pasuk Lamed, verse 30, okay? It's the night of Makas Bechoros, where the firstborn, which Paro was part of, was smitten. And the verse tells us, chapter 12, verse 30, Yud Beis Lamed, it says, Vayakam Paro, Paro woke up, Lila, in middle of the night. What does it mean he got up, he woke up? What does that mean? Rashi says, Mimi Tosso. Paro got out of his bed at midnight. This is the source that Paro in pajamas. Doesn't say that he was actually wearing pajamas. Maybe once he put his clothes on, we don't know. But the Pasuk is telling us that Paro got into bed. Now, if you think about this story, you are the king of Egypt. You're, we're, we're at this point in the Parsha, it's already the 10th plague. What are you doing in bed? You've been warned that you're going to die now at midnight. But the verse tells us Paro was in bed. Who in their right mind can lay down in bed? The reason why we teach this to the children in school, this song, Pyro and Pajamas, is because this is crucial for understanding the society of Egypt. The leader seriously is up to the 10th plague and he can go to bed. How pathetic. How far sunk in a person's lack of understanding of one God who's in complete control of the world. Seriously? And Paro was no fool. Outside of this, this was obviously foolish. Outside of this, Paro was a first world leader. At this point, Egypt had become a first world leader, a, a first world country. But our Parsha is teaching us that this is just how people viewed it. There were Jews that viewed Hashem like this. I know there's a God, but God, there's no such thing as a God that's in total control. And therefore, yeah, you perform miracles, but other things perform miracles too. They, they, they weren't impressed. And when people aren't impressed with the way that Hashem runs the world, that's impurity. That's Tummah. And that's why it's crucial for us to know who the leader is. What, how is he reacting to this situation in order to understand how, if Paro is reacting like this, this is how the Egyptians are reacting, and this is going to, to a certain extent, impact some Jews as well. You're going to have Jews that also were already at the 10th plague. Not it. They're not in. And as we know, during the plague of darkness, unfortunately, there were, you know, there were Jews who had to pass away because they weren't Zoha. They, they were just so corrupted by this, uh, by this environment and by this um, commitment to pagan ideas that they just weren't going to be Zoha. They weren't going to merit to... Um, they weren't going to merit 
to leave Mitzrayim. Okay. So now, we have the last three plagues. We have Arba, Locust, Choshech, Darkness, and Makas Bechoros. All right. So, interestingly, for the first time now, Paro is going to start to consider letting us leave. So, Paro's advisors tell him, let them go. This is, this is, a, this is a trap for us. So, we're, we're back in chapter 10 now. Okay, we're back towards the beginning of the Parsha in the 8th Pasuk. They brought back Moshe and Aaron to Paro, and Paro says to Moshe, okay, I'll let you go. I'm going to let you serve Hashem. Because originally Moshe and Aaron said, let us go, we want to serve Hashem, there's too much impurity in Egypt, we're going to come back. That was originally. So Paro now wants to be play nice guy, as if, like, oh, you know, I'll let you go for a few days, let me know who's leaving. Now, Moshe had previously told him it's going to be all the Jewish people. But Paro now wants to negotiate. So he says, who's going? Vayomer Moshe. Moshe says, oh, you want to know who's going? Let me tell you. The young ones, the old ones. Bivanenu, bivnaitzenu. Males, females. Our cattle. Our, our sheep. We're all going to go. This is going to be a chag l'ashem. We're all going to go and, and serve our Hashem. Everybody's going. So what does Paro say? He says, oh, okay, uh, you're all going. Um, let me tell you something. Um, you know, I don't like the look on your face, he tells Moshe and Aaron in verse 10 in Pasuk Yud. Rather, instead of you going with everybody, I'll be nice. I'm going to let the Gevarim leave. I'm going to let the Gevarim leave. Now, the word Gever probably is translated by Art Scroll as men. What a Gever really is, is a nobleman. Gever is a nobleman, a person of stature. He says, people of stature could go. And then, and then what does he do in, in that same Pasuk of verse 11, Pasuk Aleph, where he says, I'll let your, the nobleman go. Vayigaresh osam, he divorced them. He drove them out. He said, get out of here. What just happened? Mo it says, Paro called back Moshe and he says, you know what? I'm going to start being nice. Who wants to go? Moshe says, everybody. And now Paro takes a major turn. And he says, you know what? Your nobleman can leave. Get out of here. Very strong tone. And what happens? Keep reading. All, there's like all of a sudden, this verse is a big change in our whole Parsha. Because the next Pasuk says, as soon as Paro says this, Hashem comes to Maisha and he says, Maisha, all right, I'm done with this guy. I'm done. Hashem comes to Moshe, take your staff, spread it out that time, it's going to be locust, forget it. There's no conversation that, uh, that I'm permitting to happen over here. The conversation's over. We're not reckoning with Paro, we're not dealing with Paro. We're done with him. What just happened with Paro and everything else? It's a, such an important idea. Here's what happens. Paro's advisors tell Paro, let them go. Paro calls back Moshin Aaron. Okay, you could go. Who are you taking? They say, we're taking everybody. What does Paro say? No. I'll let the Gevarim leave. Says the Medrash on these words that I'll let the nobleman leave. Paro was scoffing. He was mocking. He was making fun of Moshin Aaron because we were slaves in Egypt at that time. Who were the noblemen? 
We had no power. We had no power anywhere. <coughs> Moshe was a shepherd coming from Yisro's house who sent to, by Hashem to talk to Paro. The Medjur says, Paro was being cynical towards Moshe and Aaron. He says, oh, you want to go? Let your nobleman go. You're prestigious people. Get out of here. Show me one dignified individual in Kla Yisrael. There are none. You're a bunch of downtrodden slaves who can't do anything dignified. Paro, Paro was mocking. He wasn't really allowing anybody to leave by him saying, let the men go. He was saying, let the noblemen go. You know who could leave? Anybody important, which is none of you. Ha <laughs> ha, get out of here. Says the Medrash, this is something HaKadosh Baruch Hu does not tolerate. Hashem immediately says to Aaron, Amisha, I'm done. Why? Because Paro, either be nice or don't be nice, but don't play games with my people. I'll read you the words of the Medrash. This is fascinating. The Medrash says, Kosha hi haleitzanis. Look how terrible mocking and scoffing is. Shekol makais shehevi hakadosh baruch hu al paro. All of the all of the previous plagues that Hashem brought on paro, lo shino bahem siduro shal olam. Hashem didn't just completely change around the nature of the entire world. Ad, what Hashem did is he made it a miracle within one with, <coughs> within nature. Ad she nislotes be Yisrael. Until Aaron starts scoffing, until Paro starts scoffing at the Jewish people by calling us Gevarim. All of the previous plagues said, say the Medrash, there was some sort of comparison to natural disaster. Meaning, even if not in this way, for example, what happened to the Nile River by the, by the blood? It was rendered useless. You know what? You can have a big oil spill that renders a whole river useless. Granted, it was clearly a miracle. But the way it impacted Egypt, <coughs> could have been done through a natural disaster. Frogs maybe can happen to congregate in one area. But with Paro's cynical response by the locust, Hashem tells Moshe there's going to be, there's going to be right, by the locust, Hashem tells Moshe, the next plague of darkness is going to change the course of nature completely. There's no day and night anymore. That's the second plague that's going to happen in our Parsha. There's no day, there's no night. When it comes to making fun of, a, of Jewish people or even individuals to take it as a personal message, to, to mock, to put down, Hashem says, I don't play games with that. I'm changing the entire course of nature. I, I, don't, deal with, I don't deal with cynical people. I'm not dealing with that. And therefore, um, and therefore Hashem, from here on forth, is, immediately comes to Moshe, and he takes a uh, he takes a much stronger uh, takes a much stronger approach. Just to wrap up this idea, because we're we're at time. Um, but Rav Shlaima Kluger makes a fascinating observation. We're not going to have time to go through the verses inside, but notice on Shabbos and Hashem as you read through the parsha, it's a very interesting. These last three plagues, Rav Shlaima Kluger, um, this is quoted in the sefer called Chesed Labram. He says, you know, by the third to last plague, by the locust, so um, Paro allows the Gevarim to leave. 
Okay, he was mocking, but Gevarim does mean nobleman. He's, he is allowing a group to leave, if that group would exist. Okay. <coughs> what does Moshe respond? Excuse me, what does Moshe respond? He says, nothing doing. Okay. So, now how many groups were created in, by Moshe? Moshe said, Paro said, who's leaving? Moshe says, all the men, all the women, uh, the, the women and uh, the, all, the, the kids, and all the animals. Over here, Paro officially is letting a group of men go. So, what are the last two plagues coming to get out? Everybody who's not a nobleman, the kids, and the animals. If you look at the Psukim after the plague of darkness, Paro says to Moshe again, who's leaving? Moshe responds, and Paro says, now the children could go along with everybody else. Paro is now going to let all humans leave. But his words is, Tzonchem uvekarchem yutzag. Your sheep and cattle need to remain behind. After the next plague, you have the locust, huh? the next plague, he allows even the children to leave, but he says, not your animals. So now, if we want to get our animals out, what plague does Hashem bring for the animals? Makas Bechoros. Because really, if not for the animals leaving to stay, Hashem wouldn't have to bring the 10th plague. So the whole purpose of the 10th plague which was the greatest miracle of all, right? We know the greatest of the ten plagues. What was that to do? To get Paro to agree to send out the animals. Because he already agreed to everybody else. So, Rav Shleim points out that by the locust, it says, speak into the ears of your children because we needed Paro to be able to, set, uh, to send out uh, um, Kalisho. But what do you mean? He already agreed to send out Kal Yisrael. So you see that the purpose was to really show the world and Kal Yisrael in particular that nothing is out of the capabilities of HaKadosh Baruch Hu if it's important enough. You would say, oh, well, it's just the animals. You're going to bring the greatest of the plagues just to get rid of the, just to get the animals out of Egypt? No matter what level we're, we're in, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will turn the world over for anything, for the smallest thing. A person thinks, ooh, and I just want to p- pull a very important message from this. Very important. Forget Paro, forget everything, forget Egyptian, forget cynicism, forget anything. Sometimes we think our situation is not important enough for Hashem to turn over the world for us. God forbid somebody goes through an illness. Somebody's in a tzara, a particular thing. You're like, you know what type of miracle is going to have to happen for me? You know what type of miracle is going to have to happen for my family, for this situation you pulled up? <laughs> you kidding me? Seriously? I'm not important enough for that. Says of Shlomo Kluger, look at Makas Bechoros. The greatest of everything. Why? What was it for? To get a few sheep and cattle out of Egypt. Everybody else was allowed to leave already by Paro. There's a few sheep and cattle. But if it's important enough, then it's going to happen. If it's important if it's important enough for the animals, it's going to happen. If it's important enough for us personally, as people, as beloved children of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, HaKadosh Baruch Hu could change the whole world over. He could bring a plague. He could make it, uh, things happen. This doctor ends up in this place. And, uh, and all of a sudden, you, uh, j- just because a person needs... 
a transplant, needs a Yeshua, needs a salvation, needs, you know, needs to get rid of machla, needs to get rid of an illness. But it's going to take all these things. HaKadosh Baruch Hu will do it. Relax. There's nothing that's outside the willingness that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will do to take care of, of, a, of a person. And that's the message that Rosh Hashanah points out from this la- beautiful idea. This, this, uh, this um, ma- uh, that's taking place by Makas Bechulash, by the firstborn. All the what? Greatest thing. What's the message? Why? What's it? For all later generations, speak into the ears. We must know this. And we need to, uh, and we need to be committed to it. And a person has to know never to give up. HaKadosh Baruch Hu will take care of us as long as we daven for it. We know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will take care. And then, and then uh, we know that anything could happen. All right, we'll hold it here for today. This week's Parsha. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Anybody will take some. Uh, if anybody wants to share any thoughts or uh, have any comments, please uh, please do so.